Welcome to another episode of Consider This, um, a podcast here at Sunnybrook Christian Church where, um, just to remind you, some of our goals for this podcast are to deal in a, in a theological way with current events or, or prominent questions that many of you are asking, um, but also as a way to engage with our sermons in a way that we don't have the time to do on a Sunday morning, or the pulpit might not even be the appropriate place, or place to, to yeah. dive this deeply on some of these subjects. That's what we're doing here. Um, in part because of dialogue. Yes. Really yeah. helps to unpack theology. Yes. Yeah. And so um, we find that having three, four, even sometimes six or seven voices <laughs> around this table can be really clarifying to bring a, a multitude of viewpoints and, and, uh, and questions to, to the subject at hand. So that's what we're going to do today, um, launching primarily out of 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, I'm Ryan Vincent. I have with me Justin Martyr Ebert. Justin Martyr. Uh-huh. Thank you. He actually is my namesake. Uh-huh. James. Are you serious? Uh, I made it, so. <laughs> there you <laughs> my go. My parents probably didn't know him, but. There you go. I am declaring it, so. so. I guess we'll call you James the Just. Johnson. No, that's my namesake, too. James uh-huh. the Elder I, now, I have officially, I have officially just made it, so. Yeah. yeah. And Mac McKenzie, the intern Johnson. I don't know if you have like a theological titan that goes with your name. There are none. Okay. So uh, you got some work to do, Mac. Make it happen. Um, we are, Mac's actually going to be on here probably a number of times over, the, over the, the coming semester through the end of the year. For those of you who don't know him, I'm sure you've seen him around. I'm sure you're aware of him having grown up here at Sunnybrook. But Mac has been spending the summer working with Justin and Drew and Morgan. Um, with the youth uh, team, and then this this fall, he's going to be spending more time with Paul and myself, doing some stuff with the adult ministries before he and his wife and soon-to-come daughter will uh, head off to Poland to do some church planting and, and missionary work there full-time. Sweet. Should be good. Sweet. So, what we're dealing with today is um, actually a, a section out of the back half of First Corinthians 15. I'm going to read it in just a second, but it it brings up or gives us the occasion to speak on a number of really prominent questions that I think many believers ask um, over the course of their life, and and some of them are difficult to answer. Um, so let me actually read this just so we know where we're coming from. We again we're preaching this. If you're listening beforehand, this is what we're going to talk about on uh, on this coming Sunday. If it's afterwards, this is what we preached on. So. I'm just going to read the first three verses of this particular paragraph in 1 Corinthians 15. Paul says this, starting in verse 50. And actually, this is a, a new translation, but you guys will bear with me. It CSB? Sounds, yes, it sounds similar. So, cool. Paul says, What I am saying, brothers and sisters, is this. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor can corruption inherit corruption or incorruption. Listen, I am telling you a mystery. We will not all fall asleep, but we will all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we will be changed. So, a lot is going on here in in, um, what is, with good reason, known as the great resurrection chapter of the New Testament. In fact, um, uh, from Justin's message last week, we we got to go through the first... um, well, first half, but really the first seven, eight verses there are considered some of the oldest ideas of the New Testament in terms of a bit of a formula on how to describe what Paul is, um, the, the basics of the Christian belief in 
the witness of Jesus and the, and then his resurrection. So we're going to just kind of open it up. And uh, I got a couple of questions for you guys, and I'm sure some more will be generated from this discussion. So, Jim, I'm going to start with you. Okay. Um, again, we're using this as a platform. Not everything <laughs> that we have will be coming out of 1 Corinthians 15. But what happens when people die? Can, it, it can seem like a really simple, rudimentary sure. question for your average Christian, but um, th- I think there's a lot to clarify. So what happens when people die, and is it at that moment, uh, upon death, you know, the judgment hasn't come, Jesus hasn't returned, yep. is it at that very moment immediately different for believers and unbelievers? Okay. Um, you know what's interesting is, is that every almost everybody I meet has an opinion on this. I would say 90% of people have a theological position. Now, whether or not it's based in scripture or whether or not it's just developed from attending a series of funerals or in many ways, wishful thinking. Um, you know, it's amazing how much of our theology has not really been thought through, uh, rooted in scripture in the end. I just, I love the idea that grandma went to heaven. And so I'm just going to say grandma's in heaven, grandma's in heaven. And I can't wait to go be with her in heaven so that we can knit again or, Mm -hmm. you know, go for a walk in the park again. And so, you know, that's, that's, um, it's it's even seldom questioned. Mm-hmm. So the basic question that Ryan's asking is, so what happens when a person dies? Um, it appears that the the Bible, even the text that you read from already, describes um, that when a person dies, uh, that person uh, ceases to exist in the physical realm. And then I would argue from a series of texts, and I'm going to list these for you, I, I think you need to pay attention to not only what's going on in 1 Corinthians 15, you need to pay attention to what's going on in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, um, beginning in, say, verse 13, and then going down the way. Uh, I, I would go all the way to the end of that chapter and then even take a look at what what's going on in chapter 5. Another great text to look at is, is uh, don't be afraid of it, is Revelation chapter 20, particularly verses 4 through 6. So those are some, some, some there are others, but those are some major texts that I think give us a little bit of clarity. Um, I, I believe that what, this, what, the, what the Bible teaches is um, when a person dies and they are a believer, so I, I think there is something very different that happens to believers and unbelievers, that when a person dies who is a believer, then they leave the physical realm and then they enter into uh, what I will refer to as paradise. Uh, Luke's gospel, Jesus describes it as such. Um, my, my favorite my favorite phrase is to just be with Jesus, to be in the presence of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm a little hesitant to use the word heaven because um, I think there's a lot more going on in heaven, and it's about outside the scope of this context. Um, heaven seems to refer much more to the final place mm-hmm. in which God has created a new heaven and a new earth. Um, but I do know that when, uh, should I die today, that I will go and I will be with Jesus. A person who does not have faith in Christ does not attain what I think Revelation 20 refers to as the first resurrection. Mm-hmm. Or sorry, yeah, the first resurrection. So instead of experiencing this new life, um, Jesus says in John 11 that he who believes in me will never die. Mm-hmm. And so I believe I'll never die. But physically I will die. Mm-hmm. But then I will be resurrected and I will be with Jesus and I will wait for the rest of the the time mm-hmm. that God is waiting to end, in which case there will be uh, another transformation that's going to take place. Believers experience that. Unbelievers do not. Mm-hmm. So unbelievers have a, uh, I would even argue, a little bit of a sense of peace in the fact that they cease to be conscious. Um, and I think that's what Revelation 20 describes rather clearly, actually. So, okay. yes, there is a difference between believers and unbelievers. 
believers are immediately ushered into, like I said, the presence of Jesus. And and then I think it gets a little more complicated in terms of what is that like. I think the Bible is very much silent on that. Sure. You guys got anything? I think Jim would say this, but one of the things that the reasons we don't speak so boldly on a subject like this, uh, exactly what it's like when yep. we die, is because there's just not that much text on this specific thing. We know a lot about that there is a day coming in which judgment will come, Jesus will return, mm-hmm. those who are dead will be resurrected and then judged, either to a eternal life of some type of punishment or judgment or to an eternal life in the full presence of God in this new resurrection body. And from death until that happens, there's just not that much text. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so we, there are some texts which we base our opinions on, but we don't know the exact nature. And we don't even actually know the exact nature of what it will be like when we exist for eternity, future, after the second coming. Mm-hmm. So I think that's just always the, the caution. Good. We may speak of things, but we're speaking with what little knowledge we do have, not as authorities who know mm-hmm verbatim in a scientifically uh, provable way what will happen. Yeah. So one one position I just want to say, I, I, I really don't believe there's much um, textual evidence for is what is tra- traditionally known as soul sleep. Yeah. That in the end, much like when we go to sleep at night and we don't remember the evening, we just wake up in the morning and that's kind of what happens to everybody. So, and then when Jesus Christ comes back, everybody is awakened. Mm-hmm. And I think that that confusion comes from the use of the word Paul says, not all will fall asleep. Not right. all will sleep. Um, I think that's a euphemism or right. a metaphor. Right. So I, I don't believe... There's someone returning with Jesus. Yes, it, exactly. And then so, yeah, that's my question. So who's returning with Jesus if everybody's asleep? Yeah. You know, I love the reminder that there's an element of mystery um, that we don't let things be ambiguous because it's hard work to get to the answer but okay. when the scriptures demand that mm-hmm. it remains ambiguous it's it's not our job to resolve tension the scripture leaves a great reminder for me it was in preparation to teach this sunday on the last line of the apostles creed which is on the resurrection um one of the one of the resources i was working through just pointed out hey don't forget that in all four gospel accounts no one describes how the resurrection happened or even witnessing it they sure. witnessed the resurrected jesus that part of the story where jesus comes out of the tomb is in like it is not mentioned in any sort of detail it's it's told after the fact and and he just said that that should be one of our greatest clues that the at least our resurrection um, you know, if we're, if we're talking about something very full coming from, you know, just a seed, you can't conceive of what it's going to be like. He's like, yeah. you can't really can't even really imagine. Predict, can't predict it. Mac, anything to add? Yeah, I think one thing is, you know, we don't get to know specifics. And Kenny Bowles wrote a book on this. And what's surprising is the book is a, like a centimeter thick. And because <laughs> Kenny Bowles is one who, if the scriptures don't say something, he's not going to say anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the piece that we get to know, the area in which we are allowed to stand firm on, is in the same way that before we knew Christ, we were in darkness, and now we are in glory, in a sense, right? Mm-hmm. We have this some level of a resurrection yeah. in our yep. baptism, yep. that in the same degree of trajectory of glory that we have come from is the same degree of trajectory of glory that we will go into. That's good. And so I think that what we see in heaven or with this idea of, when I say heaven, I mean being with Jesus mm-hmm. before the second coming. So second coming, I, I would say, is new heavens, new earth. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and so like our degree of glory in heaven with Jesus prior to his return will be greater and better than our existence here. That's yeah. why Paul says, I would rather go, but because I know this, this, and this, I'm going to stay. Yeah, and so, your benefit there. so heaven for the believer is not a uh, kind of like a sitting in the transit waiting for the train <laughs> to show up. It's more of like a snippet, a, and it's it's unique to talk about it this way. It's an unfinished perfection, yeah. right? Like it's, yep. Yep. it's not totally done because God is going to redeem everything. Yep. You see that all throughout the scriptures. But right now, where he, you will be with him where he is. And that's mm. one of the fun things about talking about heaven is if you really think about it and you want to use that term the right way, heaven is wherever Jesus is. Yeah. That's why our hope is Jesus Christ and not heaven particularly. Yeah. Yeah. It's wherever that guy is, that's where I want to be. Yeah, I, I, remember, I, like, I, like the, I like the concept I, I, for our people to, to hold on to of the idea of trajectory. Mm-hmm. That and that's a really big biblical idea. That what God we see in the Old Testament is magnified in the New fulfillment. What we actually begin to have with the Holy Spirit dwelling in us will become even greater. So that's what I, I think. That's the major message of the Book of Revelation is that after the judgment, there is this this aha, and there will no longer be. And uh, so I like the idea of trajectory. Yeah. I think that first death, which you mentioned, that all people experience. All people experience the first death. Yep. Um, there, it's hard for us to understand because it's a spiritual state. We don't think spiritually. We don't exist only spiritually. And so that's just hard for us to grasp in general. Right. And then when the resurrection happens, we now attain this new resurrected, new transfigured, almost spiritual, physical existence, which is imperishable. And so I think that's just in general, hard for us to understand and comprehend how we can exist only spiritually, but have some level of consciousness that's good or even better than what it is now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. So we've established that there is there is a clear distinction between those who who have sworn an allegiance to Jesus in this lifetime. That upon I the, like that word. Uh, I love it. <laughs> I pledge allegiance to my Lord. Matthew but, Bates. Um, <laughs> There's a clear difference. So when my heart stops beating, when the brain stops functioning, um, I will immediately have a different experience than than my you know neighbors that that don't that don't believe and entrust themselves to Jesus. Why do we, Justin? And again, this seems like an elementary question, but I, I really think that we can sometimes get in trouble by assuming that the answers are so easily understood and even agreed upon. Why do we believe that these two directions, these two trajectories are, are so firmly set and determined in this lifetime? Uh, well, I mean, we don't get to choose when we're born. <laughs> okay. We don't get, the Bible offers no hint that we have some kind of choice after we die. But there is this in between time where we're existing after Pre, after our birth and pre-death, mm-hmm. where we have these choices to make, whether we are going to give our allegiance to Jesus or not, whether we're going to acknowledge the Creator and worship Him only or not. And that seems to be the rub. That's the only rub. That is what all else rests upon. God's opinion of you is all that really matters, right? That's knowledge of the holy. Yep. And C.S. Lewis and truly... That's the dividing line. And when we die, when we cease to exist, at that moment, the judgment comes. That's what Hebrews 9 seems to talk about. For we all die once, and then judgment comes. And we don't want to hang too much on one verse, right? Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but we, uh, we just offered nowhere in Scripture where yeah. there seems to be a hint that when we die, well, then we're going to get this other chance to hear the gospel, and then maybe some people will respond. There's not a lot of people that do believe that. Some would say, I will say this, that First Peter chapter 3, verse 19 and 4, verse yep. 6, hint yep. toward that. Mm-hmm. That somehow Jesus preached to the ones who were dead and in prison, and the gospel was proclaimed to them. And I would say, even if that verse, those verses mean what you think they mean on a surface level, that seems to be a one-time thing that Jesus did yeah. at the Christ event, yep. right? Which is unique to that, and there's yep. nowhere else that seems to say that that's something that will continue to happen. I mean— we can turn there, but even after that, now something else has changed is what Peter seems to say. Yeah. Yep. Now there's a new way. Like you're, you go into a new baptism. Like baptism is how you partake in this new thing, not by hearing Jesus's gospel while you're in hell or some type of judgment. Mm-hmm. There seems to be no offering from the New Testament that when we die, we have this second chance at grace. Now, and the, sorry, mm-hmm. and that there is a strong sense the New Testament says that the opposite is true. Right, and so we know it's not like we have an argument from omission. Right? Yeah, we yeah, have strong yeah. arguments saying Jesus seems to say, "Well, you better figure this out now." Yeah, because the, yeah. now is the, the now is yeah, the time. Exactly. Why would why would any other time? Be, why do we think that because once we die, then we'll know more? Yeah. No, everybody knows enough. The parable of the rich man and Lazarus is pretty damning to any arguments <laughs> to the contrary. But sure. I, but here's, I also understand like the sentiment that is appealing to this. It's. You don't often have Christians saying, well, I'm just glad that I kind of took care of it now, or I think I, I just want to wait and believe in Christ later. It's more, I mean, it's a it's an emotive response yeah. to what they they know is likely true or is at least taught by us and by the scriptures um, about a loved one. It, it, I really think that oh, it's, yeah. it's oh, an yeah. emotional struggle. Sure. Yeah. Sure. More than an intellectual sure. one. I mean, I would say that's what much of what universalism is, which is that everybody will be saved ultimately. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I think a lot of that is um, emotively driven. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't, I mean, we always want to be careful how we speak and just throw out terms, the universalism, that all be saved. And there's some people that would, they're not trying to disqualify hell. They believe in hell. They believe in a judgment. They just believe it's a purifying process. Yeah, it's a purifying. And that yeah. ultimately people will go through different levels of hell, and ultimately they'll say, okay, that's enough. I bowed the knee to Jesus willingly. And then God will say, okay, you're yeah. good. You've gone yeah. through it. That's actually a version of what Catholics would say about purgatory. Purgatory isn't a time where some unbelievers now get to become believers and go to heaven. It's actually only for believers, and it's this time of continued sanctification because probably when you die, you're not perfect, and so you need to go through this time of purification. They would actually justify that with like a 1 Corinthians 3 text, the burning away, but we would not. Yeah, we would not. Well, and Kenny used to say um, that— when we we have that emotive response, this is like Kenny Bowles interprets uh, knowledge of the holy. Tozer. Tozer. Um, Kenny Bowles points to the portion of Jeremiah where Jeremiah <laughs> complains at the destruction of Jerusalem. And he looks at, he, he's in a prayer and he says, God, nothing is too hard for you, so make this stop. Mm-hmm. And then God says, he literally shoots it back at him. Hey, nothing's too hard for me, so I need to make this happen. Hmm. Is that God feels the same emotive response, but he is so right in his character that it does not inhibit him from doing the true thing. Right? Like <laughs> yeah. that's that's, no, that's what good. that says. It's yeah. it's the same argument for why would God let people go to hell? Um because it's not it, like he feels it more than you do. Yeah. He knows it better than you do. Mm-hmm. And yet nothing is too hard for him. 
you know, and I'll tell you, that's why to, to deal with the complexity of the question, right? Because that's, that's behind what everybody's thinking. So they're not just what happened to my grandma, but in the end, if, if my grandma wasn't what happened to my grandma and how can a good and a loving God, I mean, that's really where there's a lot of a rub and so much of our, of our faith in God needs to be in his character and in his nature. So I, I often caution myself and then those that I'm preaching to be really careful just liking those things about God that you like. Yeah. So I have to trust that what God does at the judgment is in fact what is best mm-hmm. for everyone. Yeah. The, right? It, one of the big <laughs> rules that we teach around here when we're, when we're um, walking through biblical interpretation is the palatability of Scripture has nothing to do with its truthfulness. Yeah. yeah. How much like it, you can get in line with it, it it is, it matters, but it is ultimately irrelevant. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. You know, I want to know that you're having a hard time, but it will not move this. Sure, it just tells me how much I've got to move you. Sure. <laughs> um, okay, so now we we've kind of yeah. worked through what that process between this life and the next looks like. Mac, let's let's turn our attention then to. Um, there, there's an entire publishing industry dedicated to this question, <laughs> and uh, unfortunately, a select a select vo- few volumes are probably actually worth their purchase. But um, <laughs> these are the three. Yeah, these are the three. What um, What is heaven going to be like? Um, and you know, we got all the typical caricatures of we're all going to be in baptismal robes. For the rest of eternity, floating on a cloud, singing worship songs, and um, apparently there's no ground in many of the drawings that I've seen <laughs> of heaven. Somehow <laughs> we're floating. We float. Um, so that it's not as though the scriptures say nothing on it, though they don't right. say a whole lot. Mm-hmm. But what what can we know? Yeah. So I think one of the problems when we think about this is we don't. I think as in the West, we don't know how to think correctly about symbols. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we. Huh. We don't know how to understand metaphor. If it's a metaphor, then it's not real. That's not even close to true. If it's a metaphor, it's a metaphor. And therefore, what the text is trying to say with all of these heavenly images, which if you really want to try and jumble them up, like, I mean, I love this word. It's just a trajectory of interpretation that's throughout the the texts. Mm -hmm. So the first time heaven appears is with God in the garden. This is perfection. This is creation. This is joy. The scriptures are alarmingly symmetrical if you just go to the last two chapters of the Bible. Yeah, there are two trees. I think Shane Wood wrote a book called In Between Two Trees, and it's the redemption of man. And it literally is um, getting back to the garden Mm -hmm. is the idea. Um, But now that we have Christ, I would even challenge that a little bit. It's better than the garden. Mm -hmm. Um, And I would would even say almost what we have now in Jesus. I mean, like I think there's there's a sense. Anyway. So basically what we need to do when we look at this is we don't just read the texts and read through scripture and say, okay, when does it say the word heaven and that, mm-hmm. that's it? Because if you do that, you're going to talk a lot about the sky. Yeah. Um, so no, explain that because the heaven. Okay. So in Greek, the word, the heavens literally just means up there. Like the heavenlies is the usually sky. probably how it should be yeah. translated. So the there, there is a relationship between, we say that's where God is because yeah. it's the place in which we can't think above. Yeah. So, right. So in the, in the ancient world, you couldn't think above the sky. 
Yeah. I mean, there were astrologers and they thought that there were these, I mean, yeah. they were, that was still Scott. They weren't yeah. idiots, yes. but they, they believed like that's the cap. What you can yeah. see beyond twinkle, the twinkle, cap. little stars about as far as we could get. Yeah. So like for us, it would be like, what's beyond the universe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's out, whatever is out there. So it's the, it's the literally the end of our understanding. Mm-hmm. And so we described where God is as the end of our understanding. So mm-hmm. there's a relationship there. Um, and that's common through a lot of mythology too. Mm-hmm. Um, but so when we're looking at, I, I love the New Testament. So if I take a running start at the New Testament, you see it in the Garden of Eden and you actually see it even on the seventh day. And you can see that relationship, the author of Hebrews ties, our yeah. understanding yep. of Sabbath. So there's this idea of Sabbath. There's also the idea of Jubilee, which is one of the years in which is the 50th year in which everyone is to rest. Mm-hmm. Everyone gets their land back. It's this year of peace. You don't do all these sort of things because yep. it was the seventh, seventh. It's the, the seventh Jubilee Sabbath. of Jubilees, yeah. Yeah, so it's this special time. And so that gets mixed into a lot of the imagery of redemption that comes in during Israel's exodus. So Israel gets put into, or excuse me, during the exile. So Israel gets put into exile and there are these redemption moments where God promises these kinds of things. And usually it comes with strong images they would have understood, but we are like, that's a dumb image. Mm-hmm. But a lot of the images are like, the lion will lay with the lamb. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, you can really think that image is dumb if you don't think about it. But if you think about what that means, that means that in the world in which you have only ever seen things devour each other that were opposites, those things come together. Yeah. So let that sit for a second. So there are a lot of images like that. You also have a strong sense of the presence of God, which cannot be understated. Yes. Yeah. You can't understate yeah. that. Yeah. Um, trace the tabernacle. Trace the presence of God with the fire, mm-hmm. the smoke, and the lightning. Revelation is chock full of them. I think there's... Four, four or five. Shane, you're going to be mad at me. There's four or five times when the presence of God meets the earth. What? Oh, well, I don't he, know if he listens. Shane? Shane, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> he taught me revelation. I know, I'm kidding. Anyway, so there's this idea that- he was I know way, who my, taught him. My, he was my, well, Dr. Lowry taught him, I would say, but <laughs> Shane was in my revelation class. Anyway, c- continue. Yeah, so there are these images that we need to understand, and basically what we could sum them up to be is there's this land of peace and plenty- it's a life without death. It's is what we were talking about. We were talking about in staff meeting. Something I've been thinking about a lot recently is um, Isaiah twenty five says that he, God will conquer death and death will be no more. And then you need to think about what that actually means because I believe the New Testament shows us that a lot of our sin problems come from a fear of death that is so deeply ingrained in our humanity that I wonder how deep that really is. Do sure. all of our, do, do, if all of our sin comes from our fear that we will at some day not be, mm-hmm. then what happens when that capstone comes off? There mm-hmm. is no fear. So you see that throughout the Old Testament all of the time, especially in Ezekiel. And I will create a people and there, you shall not make them afraid. Mm-hmm. That's all, that, that is at some level true here, but that will be so true in a way in mm-hmm. which we've never experienced. So it's a way of being in perfect communion with God where finally at last we will be his people and he will be our God. And if that doesn't just like blow your mind, just get you, like if that doesn't <laughs> yeah. get you jazzed, then you don't know the story enough. Yeah. yeah. And so the, so I'll, the final image, I loved this. Griff, uh, one of my professors at Ozark, used to say, it's every man under his own fig tree. Hmm. And it's, it's, it's you in your place at peace. You have your space. You hmm. have what you need. It's shade. Um, it's 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 a perfect it's a yeah. perfect harvest. It's yeah. living water. Yeah. It's yeah. it's the bread of life. It's the the eternal tree, yeah. right? It gets it's everything you've ever wanted and nothing you've never wanted. You know, one of the things that uh, <laughs> one of the again, things that okay, say that again. It's it's everything you've ever wanted and nothing, nothing you've, you've never wanted. wanted. I like that. So this blissful experience. This I, I think that this this next question 
really kind of boggles people. Where does it? Where is it going to take place? Like way over there somewhere? We all look up. Sorry, people, South Southern Hemisphere. You know, like where is it going to take place? But it's the new heavens and the new earth, right? So what yeah. what does that tell us about this this blissful existence? See, that's where I think Revelation uh, twenty one does a great job just explaining. I mean, if you go back and you hear what Mac just said, that if heaven is that which is out there. Um, so it, it has this sky element. Then go back to Genesis 1.1, and God made the heavens and the earth. So he made the earth, the ground, the, the, the planet in which we live on, and then God made the heavens, everything above the planet. Mm-hmm. And in Revelation 21, God makes a new heaven, right? So we, we, we often think of heaven and earth as his house, our house. Yeah. And, and yet the Bible makes it very clear. God doesn't have a house. We can't yeah. make him a house. He can't. He could not exist inside of his created order. So that's one of the fundamental problems. That's why I love what Mac said that, um, and I'm so grateful that Shane taught him this. That I, I love the fact that what Mac is describing is a, it can't be outside of the presence of God. Mm-hmm. That And that's why I want to say to people who get real excited about heaven and being in heaven and being with grandma or grandpa or whatever, if, if if you're looking for a place and it doesn't really have like Jesus as its core, so when you read Revelation 21 and 22, and it is the it is Jesus that brings its light, and there is no temple because he is there. And so God is that that centerpiece. Mm-hmm. And so if if God in the beginning made a heaven and an earth, and then it was corrupted, and then God is going to restore and that word to and God God made uh uh uh, what, what is the word? He create is it create it created? He created this new heaven and this new earth. Um, it, that that word there for create actually is not ex nihilo. It's not out of nothing. It's actually like a restoration of the old. Recreate a recreate. There yes. seems to be a purification element. Yes, pure. So mm-hmm. it appears to be that what the ultimate destination. So after we die, we go to be with Jesus, and then after that, death is done, um, and and the the second coming happens. Then God restores, God recreates mm-hmm. the heavens, yeah. the sky, our environment, our planet, our or everything above our planet, and the earth. Yeah. And then that is where we live with God, just much like Adam and Eve, only exponentially greater because yeah. the presence of the Lamb is with us. Yeah. Forever. Forever. Yeah, exactly. And then yeah. forever. I don't know if you guys do much daydreaming of just what it will be like, but it's I do a lot, I, especially <laughs> when I'm preaching from 1 Corinthians 15 yeah. or 1 Thessalonians 4. And I just try to, just in my self-consciousness, try to imagine what this is going to be like. And you can't. You obviously, you can't even imagine yeah. what it will really be like. But I quickly found myself getting to the point of which you're warning about. <laughs> of what will it be like for me? What will I do? Where will mm-hmm. I go? Won't I be bored? I don't really <laughs> want to sing forever and ever. That kind of sounds more like hell than heaven our, to me. Our our uh, our studio engineer. He might. He might. He'll he be the one. He'll be the one helping lead. And how quickly it can get into for me, a young pastor theologian, about me and yeah. not about yeah. the presence mm-hmm. of God, the yeah. character of God, this new thing which he's given us, which we have the grace to be a part of with him. Yeah. And if your vision of heaven or what it will be like is somehow separated from the presence and character of God, mm-hmm. you've missed something that you need to like repent of and go back and rework your mind because mm-hmm. it's maybe it's probably not 
mm-hmm. a good thing that that's all you picture. That's yeah. all well, I that's picture. why I think yeah. about think about Paul when he talks about life and death. It's not I get to go to heaven. It's I get to be with him. Mm-hmm. To be apart from the body is to be present with the Lord. Like so, his natural language is not l- as much location as it is person. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Proximity. Yeah, proximity. It's, proximity to presence. Yeah, that, that's why uh, I remember a couple of years ago I was actually filling in for you on a Tuesday morning Bible study, and I don't remember what the series was, but we were teaching through. Um, John 11, okay. I am the resurrection yeah, of life. life. And one of my kind of hooks was, I don't think salvation is a gift. Everybody looked at me kind of weird. <laughs> I, said, well, I, I said, what I mean is it's not anything that you have or can hold on to or, or get. It's a person. Jesus is the resurrection. He doesn't give you resurrection. He yep. is resurrection. He is life. He is the way. He yep. is the truth. He, yep. And these are not things that he gives people. These are things. This is the windfall that gets to be huh. experienced mm-hmm. by those who are with him. Yeah. And that's so good. that's that's why we don't let the promise of heaven be our primary um, gospel reasoning for why you would follow Jesus. Because you know you're not going to get cancer in heaven, and you're going to sure. kind of you probably <laughs> have a mansion, and you'll get to design <laughs> it, and all this stuff, and and that. I don't even know half of that's true. But <laughs> well, but some people here's what you know they do though. Here's what's interesting is they go, oh, I had that on Earth. Like there are people yes. on Earth, yes. right? They go, oh, I had a mansion. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so it's more like this. Oh, okay, that's cool. I'll be, actually, my mansion didn't do it for me. Yeah. Like I know people who have mansions, and they'll tell you like it doesn't do it for them. Yep. Like they're still sad and they're still lonely and they're still scared and they're still all of these things. So if if in the end all you do is project into heaven a better Earth, right? Then you've you've missed. Yeah. Proximity to presence. You miss the, well. You, you really miss the character of God. Yeah, and, yeah. and that, yeah. that's the huge piece of the whole thing is, if you don't know who God is, heaven sounds dumb. Yeah, I mean, it should it should be fairy should. tales and fluffy things if you don't know who God is. Yeah, sure. the better you know the character of God, the better your thoughts will be about where He is. Yeah, because being around Him is that satisfying. Because actually, intimately knowing Him is that glorifying. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, you know, I, I had to think about this for a while because a lot of us think, you know, oh, Christianity is about putting off things now so I can get things later. If the same things that you put off now are the same things you get later, then what are you doing? <laughs> no, really, what are you doing? Because if you look, like, obviously you've never read Revelation because yeah. The, yeah. the elders who earned their crowns, by the way, which, I mean, Revelation's pretty obvious, they earned them, right? Yeah. No, They I earned agree. their yeah. crowns. Yeah. What did they do with them? They hold on to them and lord over people? No, they lay them down. And mm-hmm. so Shane used to say, like, the reason we do what we do here is so we don't do what we do here, there. It's like, <laughs> if you think if you think that by um, submitting here and uh, giving up here will allow you to get there, then you've missed the idea. Yeah. Yeah, it's to teach you good. the kind of person who, when you get authority, you give it up. Yeah. That's what yeah. Jesus did. Yeah. It's like he earned the kingdom. Okay, check. Did he just leave the kingdom with himself? No, he actually handed it off, and then he gave us his soul so we could have it. Yeah. So it's like, if that's not the kind of person we become, then heaven just sounds like a place where other people get here on earth. Yeah. Right. They've got their kingdom, but I don't have mine, and this is how I choose to get the same kind of kingdom they have. They have in a different way, yeah. and you got to change your thinking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we got to challenge our people to do that. I yeah. mean, I know we're running out of time, but we got to make sure that people are as, are are more in love with Jesus. Than they are in love with heaven because if you're in love with heaven, yeah, then in the end you 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 will try to find a savior other than Jesus to get it. Yeah, that's right? idolatry. That's idolatry. It's a risky path. And so only Jesus gives us this uh, ultimate presence that will then bring the removal of the fear of death, which will then bring the resurrection and the life, which is Him. Mm-hmm. So, okay, 
So it's been a couple of millennia <laughs> since all of these promises were set in motion, mm-hmm. um, which to a cosmic god is just a blip on the radar. But to those of us that actually live and breathe in kind of this physical world and these aging bodies and things are breaking down and 2000 years is quite a while. The resurrection, the, the general resurrection and the judgment, the return of Christ hasn't yet happened. There are some, Justin, who would look at the New Testament and say, it really seems like the Apostle John and the Apostle Paul and even Peter in places, it seems like they expected this, this, this return that Jesus promised, that it was coming soon, even if not in their lifetime, much soon thereafter. And, and here we are. What's the deal? So, <laughs> what the yeah, heck? we talked about this a little bit earlier. And um, whether we can get into the mind of Paul and James and Peter, every New Testament author actually talks about the days at hand or the time is coming soon or um, John quoting Jesus is saying, I am coming soon three times in Revelation chapter 22. Yeah. They all seem to have what you're describing as it's going to happen mm-hmm. soon. And whatever their definition of soon is, they make sure to couple that what's going to happen, you need to be expecting it today. You need to expect it as if it's coming today. Live as if the Lord Jesus is coming to your doorstep and is standing at the door knocking. That's what James says. Mm -hmm. The judge is standing at the door. And that leads to a life, a life of holiness. Because truly, we want to live a life that is acceptable, pleasing to God. We want to offer this worship. It, it's actually, I loved in Hebrews, it talks about um, in chapter 12, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Yeah. Looking forward to in this shaky world that seems to always be falling down around us and these bodies that are decaying literally beneath our skin, we look forward to this kingdom that cannot be thanked cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable acceptable worship, mm-hmm. right? It, it always leads to something. So whether or not they thought it was going to happen in their lifetime, whether or not they thought it was going to happen in the lifetime of their disciples, whether or not they knew it wouldn't happen for 2,000 years, they said, live as if it's happening today. And that leads to a life of holiness, which is resembling and seeking God's presence and trying to resemble the character in God of God here mm-hmm. so that I might win my brother, mm-hmm. right? So that I might please God, number one, but that I might live as the light of the world, the salt of the earth. I truly, Jim was asking me what I might add to my message, and I'll explain this a little bit Sunday for you all that are there. I hope when you hear the gospel, I hope when you hear us talk about the eschaton, the last things that it leads you to an appreciation and gratitude for God and what he's done for you, but also a broken heart for your neighbors, that it leads you to want to tell them this good news, this only thing that can save their souls, truly. I hope it's not just this treasure that you have and you keep, but it's something you want to share and show everyone. Truly, it's worth so much. Mm -hmm. And I hope it leads us to a holy life and a life of living for others. Mm -hmm. You know, I know know we're getting near the end. I just... I think it's important that as we ask this question, that we recognize that a lot of the reasons why people are beginning to maybe give up, and they've been kind of giving up for thousands of years um, on Jesus Christ coming back, is because it just seems like it's so long, Mm -hmm. right? 
I think it's good to remember that there's no way that Peter or Paul or James or John, they were very aware that from the time of Abraham to the time of Jesus was 2,000 years. Yeah. Right? And they, and, and they don't seem to complain about it. They don't be like, I don't know, what was God doing? Well, I mean, that was crazy. Yeah. What was he doing? Like, why did it? And, the first coming and, took a while. <laughs> exactly. Um, you know, Mark Scott, we've been mentioning a lot, Kenny Bowles, my, our, our Greek professor. And then, uh, you know, you mentioned Griff and Shane. And I remember Mark Scott saying that going back and reading the parables of Jesus and how often in the parables that the, the landowner or the king was gone for a long time. <laughs> And there appears to be in a lot of these, and they're kind of in that eschatological end times kind of language, that there was this surprisingly long time that these people were gone. Mm -hmm. So in a nutshell, I would say, I don't know what Paul thought. Mm -hmm. My dad is pretty positive that Jesus Christ, my dad has said this my entire life. If he doesn't come back in my lifetime, I kind of expect him to come back in yours. And I want to say, dad, I've been reading history books. Everybody said that. Yeah, every generation. Martin Luther thought that. He's been dead for a long time. You know, so maybe Paul thought that. I don't know. I really don't know. I do believe First Thessalonians five, beginning in verse one and down through that first section. I think it ends in verse eleven. Yeah. But um, Paul makes a statement that in the end he's going to come like a thief in the night, mm-hmm. not surprised to everybody, but a thief in the night, meaning that they're not prepared. Right. Yeah. So they're right. unbelievers, right? Yeah. And they're unprepared. <laughs> he says to you, you know, your children, you live in the day, and so you will not be surprised. And so we look forward to that day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I, it, it appears that the Apostle Paul may have, may have, I'll, I'll give you that, may have expected Jesus Christ back to come quickly. But in Acts 20, he expects to go to Jerusalem and die. He's not like, hey, yeah, I mean, I'm mm-hmm. on my way to Jerusalem, but I know Jesus mm-hmm. Christ is going to come back before then. He seems to think he's going to die. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, he's even writing First and Second Timothy and Titus. He seems to think he's going to die. Mm-hmm. So even when he is describing it, I think Paul kind of looks into the church and says, but not all of you will be. Yeah. And we think he's talking to that generation. He may, I just got goosebumps thinking about this, but he may have just talking to the church. Like, I promise you, the gates of death, Hades, will not overcome this. Mm-hmm. For he has had been victorious over death. He has, and John would say, the, the, the keys of death and Hades in his hands. Yeah. And so, in the end, Maranatha, Lord Jesus, come soon. We And Jesus says in Revelation 22, behold, I am coming soon. Mm-hmm. Um, and when that exists, I mean, it's interesting that every generation gets roughly 70 years to figure it out. Yeah. And so whether you want to say it's a long time or a short time, I promise you, I won't wait 2,000 years yeah. to see him. I, I expect to be literally, I'm 50 years old. I expect to see Jesus in the next 30-some years. Yeah. Mm. I will see so, him soon. <laughs> exactly. Oh, I will see him soon. But when he, when he says to you or to you or to you, I am coming soon, it is, it is your faithfulness that says, okay. Yep. Could be tomorrow. Yeah. Could be this afternoon. Yep. And it is Jesus's timelessness that says it could be thousands of more years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Bo, you're not wrong. No. For thinking that. No. For living like that. Sure. And and I promise he's got it. Yeah. Right. This we, we good will, guys. We will not assume that we've answered every question. We probably caused a few more, but um, so it goes. If that's the case, send your questions to Steve at sunnybrookcc.org. Thank or you, Steve. Catch any one of us, and we Get would love again. to. Uh, actually, most of what we do, I guess I shouldn't say most, a lot of what we do are actually in response to questions that have been asked um, by you guys after sermons or after lessons or just in your own devotional time spent with the Lord. You're like, hey, I got a, you know, you guys should talk about this. We love those kinds of suggestions, and um, and 
that's why we're doing this. We're not doing. I mean, we can have this conversation in Jim's office with our headphones off. So we did, which we, we did. did. We did have that several <laughs> times. We um, already did. So we love you guys. Uh, I hope this was helpful, and uh, and we look forward to the next episode and to hearing from you soon.